Welcome back to the Redneck Tech Podcast. This is going to be episode number 61. And in this episode, we have got my good buddy, Jamie Shira. Uh, if you guys have been keeping up with anything on social media the last couple of months, you will know that Jamie and I just recently filmed the first episode of a series that we've been working on for, well, it's been an idea of mine for over two years, possibly more than that. And um, uh, him and I have been talking about it for a long time. And we finally just decided to do it. Uh, we got some backing from Mossy Oak to go and film it. And um, so on this episode, I want you guys to meet Jamie. He is a small business owner. He owns, I don't even really know all the stuff that he has anymore. It's He's very diverse in his portfolio of what he does. Um, but he's also a super interesting guy, super driven guy. And we're almost identical in age. So uh, we have a lot of things in common, so we get along pretty well, and obviously we like to hunt. So here's Jamie. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want him? Yeah. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Redneck Hate Podcast, episode 61. I'm here with my good buddy, Jamie Shira. What's up, Jamie? What's up, man? 61 episodes, eh? 61. Well, I'm not on pace for what I should be because I've been doing this since last November. No, November before last, so over a year. So I should be well past 61, but um, I don't do them every week. I should do them every week, but you know how this spring has been. Um, yeah. And it's just not been... Uh, conducive to try and uh, do one every week even though I want to and I've got one coming up right after we do this one with you is I just got the new Osmo Action Cam in which is going to be oh, their yeah. uh, their answer to the GoPro yeah I saw and, it I yeah. almost bought one the other day already yeah, yeah it's uh, <laughs> I already bought it already got it in it's charging right now in my shop I haven't got to play with it yet um, but I plan on doing a review of it in the next hopefully a week or so that's the plan anyway but Anyway, there's enough of me talking. I want you to introduce yourself. I could do it, but um, I would rather you do yeah. it yourself. Yeah, so my name's Jamie Shira. Um, I grew up in South Georgia and now currently live in Atlanta. Um, own a couple of different little companies or, or partners in a couple of different little companies. We've got a restaurant group with uh, two, in it, two restaurants in the Atlanta area, one in the Nashville area and one in Birmingham. And then I'm a partner in another company that does IV hydration. And those are the two main gigs now. But, um, yeah, I uh, spend pretty much most of my days here in the Atlanta area unless I'm out visiting our other stores. And I handle all the marketing for all of them. So uh, we have an asset management company. It's called South Capital Partners. And uh, I am the CMO for that company. And so, obviously, all of the marketing responsibilities fall under my purview nice well that's and that's kind of the the reason that we're talking is you have a marketing background and a small business background which that's essentially what we're doing here and you have recently dipped your toes into this outdoor content space with me um i don't know if it was against your better judgment or for your better judgment <laughs> but uh we, we yeah we're we're in it waist deep now um and that's kind of why i wanted to have you on is have a an outside perspective but about to be an inside perspective, if that makes sense. Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, hopefully all of you or, or 
if you haven't, you will go and look at it uh, after this. But have watched the first installment in the series that uh, Caleb and I put together called Making It Happen. And in the most basic essence of the of the phrase is figuring out a way to get out in the woods and make whatever your goals are happen. Uh, it's something that I've been developing on a non hunting basis for a while. Uh, if you get to know me, I'm uh, all over the place when it comes to just being outside and going and doing things. And, you know, one of the big components of what I derive joy from is being in the outdoors. And I grew up on a farm. Uh, I hunted my whole life. I've always been interested in the hunting space. My father actually owned a commercial coal hunting plantation uh, for the most of my childhood and in the high school career. It was something that always really drew me in. I loved the camaraderie that you gain from being in the outdoors with, with people that, you know, you've either known for a long time or you just met. And Cable and I met probably three years ago. Well, we met, the first time we met was probably, I don't know, it probably been seven, eight years ago at, when you were when you were working at Killcliff. Oh, and yeah. that was literally just meeting like, hey, my name's Caleb. Hey, my name's yeah. Jamie. Yeah, nice, yeah, to, no, yeah. nice to meet you. But um, we yeah. really didn't start like hanging out and really developing that because you know I had the idea for the Make It Happen series for the last couple of years, and then once yep. I told you about it, you're like, "Well, dude, I'm already doing or trying to do that in kind of just you know everyday life and outdoor activities, and yep. I love to hunt." And you're like, "I have so many things that I want to do that I make those excuses myself." So it was kind of a, a natural fit. And turns out you're not bad on camera, which is the kind of the response that I've gotten more from anybody is Jamie's really good on camera. And I was like, well, he's not done it. He's not done it a whole lot. He just really is good at letting himself no, be I himself. No, obviously. Yeah. Well, you, you well, just. as they say, you know, it's, it's all about the guy behind the camera that really makes <laughs> no, me look good, right? No, well. Um, feed me the lines verbatim. <laughs> well, it easy. But, but you have, but you have a way on camera, which is a very, a very rare thing. And I told you this is. Well, I, 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 and I think where that comes from is just pure honesty and, and being just open and not trying to act like there's something going on there that there isn't right. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from, this is how I feel. This is what I want to do. This is how I think it's not some contrived predestined, you know, thing that we're putting out. Right. It's, well, yes, yeah. it's, it's, well, it's what I believe in. Yeah. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but I like the, 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 the line that we're going down because, you know, I've filmed, I've been behind the camera on a lot of different people in front of the camera, different people. And most of everybody, the vast majority, try to be something other than who they are. Whether that's honest or not, they try and either be a host or they try or they're extremely nervous and it comes through or they just fall apart and they can't get it. They can't they can't even formulate a sentence just because a camera's pointing at them. And I think it was literally something to where on camera you were having a conversation with me. And the camera was, it didn't matter that the camera was there. And that's something that's well, way easier said than done. Most people can't do it. I can't do it well. You know, my personality doesn't come through well on camera, which I've been on camera a handful of times through the years on hunts and stuff. But it's also different than sitting down for a long-form interview like you and I did. Um, right. I've never and had to do a whole lot of that. And that's, that's a hard, that's a skill. 
Well, the, the, key, the key concept there is I was doing exactly what you said. I'm just having a conversation with you. And I've been lucky enough to, to speak in front of, you know, groups of 10, 15, 20, 30, up to 100 people on multiple occasions. And for me, I, by the way, I hate public speaking. <laughs> uh, I don't think anyone really enjoys it except for people that do it for a living. But for me, I always just try to find the one person or think about, you know, when it's a camera, cause there's not a bunch of people sitting in front of you. Think about the one person that I'm trying to talk to and have a conversation with that person. And not like you said, have this host, uh, you know, Oh, welcome to this show today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that, that, that doesn't connect. Um, and obviously again, having you back there who, you know, does have a massive amount of experience in doing this and working with people that are really tough to, to get on camera makes it just so much easier for me. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, obviously we're biased, but I think the first one couldn't have turned out any better. Couldn't have played out any better. Um, and for those of you listening, it's, it's a turkey hunt that we did in Nebraska where we drove out, knocked on doors, got permission, killed some turkeys and just showed the absolute, you know, the absolute, easiest way to go out and kill a you know rio or a miriam in nebraska is just to put boots on the ground and get there and knock on doors and not be afraid to say no you know because the whole idea that i had was you know there's 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 so much uh access to hunting is so limited in this day and age you know there's so much private ground um and there and the, the public ground that is there is extremely secretive on what's good and what's not so it's one of those things to where I hear a lot of guys that have made excuses to say, hey, I've always wanted to do this hunt or that hunt, but I can't afford it, don't have time. And we just got kind of tired of that excuse and, like, we wanted to, quote, make it happen. And that's exactly what we did, and that's the plan going forward is we've got several other ideas for hunts. And um, and maybe down the road, me and Jamie have talked about it developing into something else to whether that's yeah. whether that's fishing, hiking, camping, off-roading you you name it you know because there's so many things that it can develop into but right now i think the 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 focus of it just because hunting access has become so tough for people that don't have it that don't have a big farm to hunt or that don't have because like i think it's i can't remember the statistic it's like 90 something percent of people that hunt are reliant on either public land or someone else's property to hunt you know less than i mean yeah less than 10 percent people own their own property that's a, well, it's a prime example of th- the exact reason why we did this. Um, I grew up on a farm. I am fortunate enough to have family land that I can hunt. Yeah, but it's not um, yours. See, this kind of the same thing. Yeah, you're still dependent on somebody. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you- but in, a, in addition to that, for me to leave Atlanta on a Friday and try to get home, uh, you you waste – I mean, it's, it's five or six hours. So the issue is still the same. You know, I don't have enough time. I don't have the money to rent the place. I don't have the – you know, the place to hunt. I don't know where to go on the public land around Atlanta. And it's something that I've been trying to figure out, you know, for, for the last three to four years, if I, as I've slowly come back into this, uh, fold of the hunting industry. And, you know, for me, it's, (laughs) there's no BS behind it. I mean, this is really us getting in the car. We're driving, you know, 17 and a half hours out to Nebraska. And I'll be honest, uh, (laughs) First of all, I didn't realize how far Nebraska was. Um, <laughs> I thought we were driving like 12 hours. Uh, we get in the car, pull up the map, and <laughs> it says 17 and a half, and that kind of just 
blew my mind. But the next level of thoughts that start running through my head is, you know, man, is this even possible? Yeah. Is this, does this happen? Is Do people allow you to, to go and, and hunt on their land? And lo and behold, uh, as you can see in the, in the video, it, it definitely happens. And, you know, uh, obviously we can say that hunting situations don't always turn out the way that, that those two did for us, but yeah. it really just sent, you know, a, a strike of lightning through my body on this whole project of, man, there's something really here. Yeah, um, well, I because can... I had so many non-hunters reach out to me, text, email, Instagram, Facebook, whatever you name it, you know, just saying kind of a, holy crap, man, did y'all really go do that? Is this real? Yeah. And then, yes, this is real. Man, how can I do that? Yeah, and that, was the, that. and that was the I goal. I want to be a part of that. I mean, I have people, I mean, I've got two or three buddies now that have never hunted that, you know, are now hounding me. How can I be involved? How can I do this? How can I come on the next hunt? Or, you know, what do I need to, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? And I think that that is where the next, you know, iteration of this thing goes is trying to put together the resources for people to, to really take advantage of these adventures that we're going on and that we're showing people how to do. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, and I think you guys just, the ones listening, uh, I mean, we have, I mean, it's, you you know, the, the listeners of this podcast are pretty loyal and I think most of them have, uh, have watched and, and, and because commented and talked to me about it because most everybody, like I said, said that you were really good on camera, which, which you well, were. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, kind of getting into what we wanted to talk about for the podcast is, uh, I wanted you to kind of go over, you know, you run a small business. I run a small business. Mine's a lot smaller than what you're running, but I want you to kind of go over, you know, kind of the, what's the hardest part. You know, a lot of guys that are listening to this either are trying to start their own company or a production company or, um, maybe work for a small business or own a small business themselves. You know, kind of what's the, hardest part to you to try and uh to do that day to day and uh to be wear a lot of hats because you say you're the cmo but you wear a lot of other hats uh yeah i mean that's a that's definitely a a a deep question um for me i would say and this is kind of a, a common thing in the restaurant business is you know the hardest part of the restaurant business is the people and the best part of the restaurant business is the people. And I think that holds true, though, in any industry is how can you get your team or, you know, your, 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 whether it's a small group of one or two or three people or upwards to, you know, our restaurants employ probably over 200 people. Um, I don't know the specific number now. How do you get all of those people to... Row in the follow, same what row in the same yeah, direction? Yeah, follow the same set of you know values and row all together in the same direction to be successful. Um, while taking in the opinions of those people, while taking in the thoughts and and the emotions, and everyone's different, and everything you know, everybody has something going on in their lives. And how do you take all of those different aspects of the human persona and mold it into something that everyone's kind of rallying around and coming together. I think for me, um, just on the marketing side, you know, I've, I have to involve all the managers of the businesses. Um, I have to involve, 
uh, all the people that kind of work from a corporate aspect. I have to involve the people that are handling the marketing, um, the day-to-day kind of transactional marketing stuff, posting, liking, commenting, et cetera, and getting all of those people on the same page, speaking the same language when most of them don't understand how a lot of it works, especially from the operational side of the business. That's, that's definitely the most complicated part. I got you. What's the most rewarding thing though? Oh man, uh, that's pretty easy. Whenever you put together a, you know, a marketing, um, calendar and, you know, or an event and it's just executed flawlessly and it works and you see people responding to it. You see people, you know, if for an, for an example, an event that we throw, um, we usually do a concert summer series here in Atlanta at the Ivy and we're not, a music venue, but the fact that our team is able to pull off something on that scale where we're having four or five, 600 people come to multiple events and have an amazing time and everything goes flawlessly. It's, that's a, that's, that's all the reward right there. I mean, you know, your, your goal, or at least our goal as a restaurant business is to provide, you know, a product to people that is defect free in a timely manner uh, by people who care. And if we can do that day in and day out over and over and over again and create an experience that people, you know, really, really, really enjoy, that's, that's what it's all about. Well, uh, and this is something I've talked about on the podcast before in, in a different term, in, in different, I guess, different situation. I mean, because it's super important to me. And I, and I know you, you know, I said in the intro before I got on the phone with you that you and I share a lot of share a lot of commonalities with not only our personality, our upbringing and everything else, but something that's super important to me, which I feel like you're going to say it is important to you too, because I know it is, uh, is how, how important is communication in terms of business? Uh, it's really funny you ask that. Uh, every Monday we have our manager meeting here at the Ivy. Um, and we have, you know, obviously weekly calls with everyone, but the, the one topic that we discussed was communication. Uh, and not just communication, but effective communication and taking that effective communication, setting smart goals, uh, is really the only way to move your business forward, uh, at any type of pace. I've been in tons of meetings in tons of different, you know, environments with different people with different companies. And, you know, you, you have all this great conversation and you get out of the meeting and no one has anything kind of written down and, you go about your day and then you come back the next week and it's, it was just kind of out there in the ether, you know? And so effective communication, uh, active listening is I think a part of that. So, you know, you can't just be a boss that comes in and just tells people what to do and they just go and do it. Right. Well, break it, break it down even simpler than that. Like how important is it just to, to answer your phone, to call people back, to be available? (laughs) Oh man, I, you know, I, I take specific times that I don't answer my phone. Um, generally at night when I'm at dinner or if I'm at lunch with someone, but other than that, it's, it's answered. Um, I take pride in consistent and open communication with everyone on our teams. Everyone has my cell phone. Anyone can call me. Uh, I'm probably going to call you back within an, within an hour. And it's funny, we actually have a rule for all of our managers, uh, during the day, 
8 a.m. to 8 p.m., you have to respond to someone within two hours. Uh, that's just a rule. That's just the way that we operate. Um, and that's just trying to keep up with the, with the speed of business. But, you know, for me, um, I'm not sitting here acting like I'm any busier than anyone else because I know, you know, everyone's busy these days and there's so much input from, you know, all the different social medias and what have you and emails. But, um, I respond to everyone. Um, and if I don't get back to you within that day, I'm going to probably shoot you a text and let you know, Hey, sorry, I got hung up. You know, what time can we talk tomorrow? What do you, uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think? Cause I, I mean, I agree, you know, you are by far out of the people that I have to communicate with the easiest to communicate with. And you always get back to me and you're always, which you're, you're one of the biggest sticklers on calendars and, and making yeah. sure you, you're <laughs> deliberate with your time, which is something that I'm not great about. Um, but what is what do you think is the reason, or I guess yeah I guess what would be the reason that now in this day and age there's more ways to communicate with people than ever before and it's harder and harder to get a hold of somebody or to get somebody to do something. I think a lot of it has to do with your intention and the way that you communicate with someone, um, and what I mean by that is. Again, like I said earlier, you can't just come in and tell people what to do because you're the boss. You have to have influence over that person. And I don't mean like you're controlling their mind, but you're getting people to do things because it's the right thing to do. And everyone kind of believes in that, that solidified goal, right? And everyone's working towards the same thing. I mean, does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. Well, I'm just saying in terms of, you know, even people that I mean, people that you and I know, people that I'm friends with, people that I work with, you know, in the hunting industry, especially, you know, kind of transitioning into that. Trying, and I've said this before: most marketing people are like trying to catch the Easter Bunny. Yeah. You know, to get somebody to reply to an email, to answer a phone call, to answer a question, to um, or to be beholding to anything specific. They don't ever want to give you a. Uh, a definitive answer. They don't ever want to. And I, and I, I mean, I understand parts of that. I understand why somebody could, or a, or a business or a, an entity could say, Hey, you know, and never give you a straight answer just because they're trying to protect themselves one way or the other. But, yep. um, there's some things, you know, there's questions that get asked that are like, Hey, you know, can I get your updated logo? Like how, you know, that ain't hard. Well, no. you know, why is it, just it's mind-boggling to me that now that there's more ways to get a hold of anybody than ever, our technology's better than it's ever been. That you can't get simple things done just because people will not answer their phone, and you know they have their phone with you, uh, with them, and you know they've seen it. Why? What is? The, what's the well, reason? I, you know, I can't really probably effectively answer that question. I don't think um, anybody can, but I just wanted exactly. somebody else's opinion. Yeah. yeah, no, because I think that's if you can answer that question, then you're on something big. Um, I think that there's so much noise these days, um, whether it is again, emails, phone calls, text messages, uh, you know, Twitter alerts, Instagram alerts, Facebook, there's, you know, TV commercials, billboards. I mean, everywhere that you turn, there's something coming at you. And I think that people, um, get very selective with what they're going to respond to and what they're not going to respond to um, because they're overwhelmed. I think that a lot of people in today's society 
kind of over promise and under deliver their time. Because if there's one thing that we all have every single day, the same amount of is time. And that commodity is never going to change. Once it's gone, it's gone forever. It never comes back. And I believe that people, you know, are just very protective of that. And, you know, unless that they think that it's something that's going to benefit them, a lot of the times they just don't respond. Yeah. Well, you said something to me uh, over text earlier. We were talking about the Make It Happen promotion, Mossy Oak and everything. And you were saying, you know, before you got into the kind of the, the behind the curtain type thing, I guess, with the outdoor industry, you came to ATA show this year um, and uh, walked around and met some people. And I think you, even, you know, sat in a couple of meetings that I had. But, um, you know, you had the perception that the hunting industry was just a good old boy handshake type thing. And there's still a little bit of that. But kind of what's your, what's your take on the business side of the hunting industry so far? uh well um it's it's a lot <laughs> that good than that I, good huh <laughs> yeah uh it's a lot different than i thought it was as you said i business is business right people yep. are in business to make money i understand that but i say that with you know the 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 forethought before i got back into this that you know when i tell you i'm gonna do something i'm gonna do it uh do what I say which and is, I say what I do. Which is you what know? you're supposed. Which is what's supposed to happen for sure. Right. And you know I can understand businesses like you know the restaurant business or the nightclub business or you know industries like that where there's you know there's a lot of different inputs that kind of control those decisions. But the outdoor space for me seemed to be more of a I guess a holistic type business that was rooted more in kind of some, I don't know, just different way of operating. Um, and it's maybe because my dad was in it for so long and I know the way that my dad operates and I know the way that some of his closest friends that were also in that business operated. And it was, you know, based on those same kind of core values. And for me, I just assumed that that's the way that it was, but obviously as you get into anything in life, you start to kind of peel back the layers of the onion and understand that a lot of the times people are in things and involved in things, you know, that best benefit themselves. And now there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's the whole reason that we work is so that we can make money so that we can do the things that we want to do that cost money, right? Yeah. I have to be here to run these restaurants, to run the marketing side of this business. Cause that's my job. That's my role. Those, those are my responsibilities so that I can then afford to go and do a turkey hunt in Nebraska. And I just think that, that for me, I thought that there was a little bit more of the kind of handshake agreement. You know, when I say something, I'm going to do it. Um, then, you know, there seems to be, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think, like I said, I think there's still a little bit of it, but uh, I think right now there's so much competition yep. for that that those either sponsor dollars or mm-hmm. those content creation dollars. And and let's be honest, there's a lot of there's a lot of good content out there, but there's way more bad content. Yeah, uh, there's way more people. There's a lot of people out there that are trying to 
get some free hunts. They're trying to get some free gear or some, you yep. know, some, some, uh, discounts on gear. And, and don't get me wrong. I was there. I was that guy, you know, years ago before I figured out that that's not the right approach. If you're not adding value, <laughs> if you're not adding okay. value to a company, then you're, you know, you're useless. Yep. Um, and adding value can come in a lot of different forms. And I think that's what some guys, uh, that's what they get caught up in is they think adding value is only going and doing hunts for people and killing stuff and using their products. Well, that is adding value in some way. But guess what? There's a line of people that want to do the same thing. So what well, are, if, yeah. if, if you take what we're doing, that's what we're trying to do is add value yeah. to people that aren't even necessarily in this industry that want to break in because what I've seen and one the biggest surprise to me um, was really the fact that people don't really want anyone new coming into the space. It seems maybe they just didn't like me, <laughs> but <laughs> people just did. don't want someone new coming into the space, which for me goes against everything that I was ever taught about hunting in the outdoors, which is, yeah. It's still, it's still family. got a yeah, good old boy. You know, if you're not, you know, kind of in the club and the click type thing, in in some yeah. aspects for sure. Which I th- that's in any in industry, but f- like my whole upbringing around the outdoors was based in, you know, take someone hunting, introduce someone new to it. I mean, that's the only way that we're going to really be able to continue doing what we love, right? Is yeah. To get more people that hunt, that buy licenses, that fund all the all the conservation efforts. Right? Yeah. And. You know, I get that, obviously, you kind of mentioned earlier, there's a finite number of sponsorship dollars. There's a finite number of, you know, sponsors in general out there. And, you know, everyone, if I own one of those companies, I'm trying to do what's best for my company, right? And I don't want to spread out dollars too thin. And I I understand all of that. But, you know, it was definitely just a little bit eye-opening to see, first of all, you know, I didn't even realize how big of a business you know, the, the, the hunting and yeah, outdoor. I remember you telling me yeah, that you're like, I mean, man, I, I thought this was blown away. Yeah. I thought we were going to like some, you know, trade show that's going to have, you know, a hundred, 150 booths. And it's like, we walk a whole day and don't even cover the whole floor. You know, it's just like, Whoa. And then you get to some of the, the larger brands and look at their, um, you know, their setups. I mean, I've done trade shows. I've designed trade show booths and all that. I mean, I know what kind of money is going into those things. It's pretty, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's, and it's, and it's good to see. Yeah. In my opinion, it's good to see because that means obviously everything's alive and well. And as long as we can continue to spread that message of bringing new people into the fold, um, you know, for me, I think that's, that's kind of the ultimate goal. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, what's kind of, what was your experience with the hunting industry? Um, you know, I think you've touched on a little bit, but kind of, what was your experience with outdoor content before you and I got started in this? Maybe even before you met me, really. Like, you know, did you watch hunting shows, oh, did you, YouTube? Yeah. Well, you know, what was your kind of, and not only what was your experience, kind of what was your perspective on it? So growing up, like I said, we owned the, the commercial quail plantation. And my dad was actually on quite a few shows on the outdoor network uh, on, you know, a couple of different channels that, that broadcast uh, you know, whatever the hunts were, he did a bunch of dog training videos and stuff like that. And so, you know, when I was, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, I can remember being at the lodge and there being a film crew there and me being like, what in the world is this mess? And then, you know, you start seeing kind of like how the editing and producing and all of that goes. And then you're like, you kind of see the finished product and you're like, well, that's, I don't really remember it like that, but it looks really good that way. Yeah. And then, 
again, we sold the place. I went to college, got really completely disconnected with hunting for three or four years, uh, unfortunately. And as you know, I graduated and got back into it and have really just kind of jumped head first into it. Um, some of the first, you know, reintroduction I had was, uh, some of these Instagram accounts that you follow that, you know, are, are unreal, but, um, you know, I still definitely watch hunting shows on TV and there's, there's certain things that, that I love to watch, but you know, you're, you're looking at the John Dudley's, the Steve Vernellas, you know, people in that category and you start to really kind of take a step back and go, Whoa, man, like I had no idea that these people existed online, yeah. you know? And, and then you start really reaching into it and looking and looking and man, there's, people with, you know, a million followers, half a million followers, you know, they're, you know, tens of thousands of subscribers on YouTube and it's pretty powerful and it's amazing to see that. Um, and then you kind of dig into the next layer, you know, where you guys, where you and I really, I think met and hung out the first time was when we did that little hunt in South Georgia. Right. Yeah. And just seeing how all of that happened and how the, camera works and the people you know it's like in this like i didn't even know we, we get down there and i don't even have any latch ons hung i've got climbers yeah and y'all are like uh dude this is not gonna work <laughs> uh, i was like what do you mean you just get in there and climb up and pull your camera up You're like no man you gotta have the camera you know the stand set up and so all of that stuff just kind of really changed changed my opinion but you know the one thing that i've always kind of I won't say been against, but something that just didn't really connect with me is the whole, you know, all right, we're here at so-and-so Creek and, you know, we got this deer bedded up over here and then it's commercial break. And then it's, Oh, there he is. Draw yeah. commercial break. Which is Shot. what, which is what hunting Ripping shows grand. were for 10 years. You know, they didn't know, know any better. I know. And, and I never really connected with that. And, I think what Instagram or Facebook or YouTube has allowed people to do is show all of the other stuff that goes into it. Because those people that are on those hunting shows, they're doing the same thing. Yeah. There's still well, another a massive thing. amount of work and well, a massive amount of time that goes into this. They stuff. allowed them, they allowed them to show the other stuff and then cut out the bull crap. Yep. Because a lot of, a lot of hunting shows still to this day are a lot of bull crap, a lot of filler to either fill time or to make sponsors happy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the digital, and the digital side of it has made it so much simpler because you can show what you want, not show what you, you know, don't want. Um, you know, your budgets are smaller, your time frame shorter, but, um, to, you know, as a producer overall, it's a much better experience. Jesus, I love it so much more. With, without a doubt. I mean, I, the thing that we put out had, I mean, you, you edit it. What was the percentage of actual hunting versus everything else? Oh, um, I mean, probably, probably 10% if that, yeah. yeah. which that yeah. was also our goal going in as we wanted it to yeah. be 60, 60, 40, 70, 30, you know, um, you know, preparation, you know, planning, execution, all that good stuff versus actual hunting because, most shows are hunting heavy, you know, whether it's stalking, you know, chasing elk, you know, calling turkeys, whatever. I wanted that to be, I wanted that to be, you know, that to be the entertainment, but I wanted, you know, the information, and I told you this, I wanted the information and the process to be the focal point of the entire episode. And I think we did a good job of that. Right. I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I think one thing that those 
those old style hunting shows did that was a little bit unfair for the hunting industry is it put it painted an unrealistic picture of what hunting is right it's it's hunting it's not shooting as my dad always said because mm-hmm. you know you go out day after day after day after day it's it it's it it's it you know nothing happens and i think that that you know you get someone who maybe was interested in getting into hunting and of course the first thing you're going to do well hopefully the first thing you're going to do is try to learn about it so you're going to watch shows or what have you and you say oh well, these guys go out there man they sit in the stand the first day they shoot you know 160 inch buck it's like it's the easiest thing it's the easiest, it's the easiest thing, thing ever yeah, I know. It's like, I, all I got to do is go up to the Bass Pro Shops, you know, and talk to the guy up there because they're the one that sponsored this. Obviously, this is where the guy gets all his clothes from. And then I yeah. go out there and I'll shoot me a big deer. They probably got so, property I can hunt too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, and I think that that is an unfair representation of what honey is um, because it's hard. Well, then, and then, and then after that, the trend start. you know, kind of what you just said, the trend happened from how easy they made it look to you know, the only thing that's getting shown is the 160 plus deer, you know, then it got into essentially, uh, not really an arms race, but more of a, a, you know, a, a buck race on who could kill the biggest, you know, antler race. That's a good inch race, inch race, race. you know, who could kill the largest, you know, whatever, whether it's elk or deer, pronghorn, mule deer, whatever. And it all had to do with, you know, who, who, who's going to shoot the biggest. And, and, and there's good and bad to that. The bad of that is, um, it really puts an un, uh, uh, unrealistic expectation on guys that are hunting in South Georgia, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, cause they kill 110 inch deer. They, they should be proud of themselves. You know, they kill oh, yeah. a deer. They should be proud of themselves. And then yeah, exactly. not only, but Skittish. the good, but the good thing it does is it also gets people aware to the management that goes into, you know, some of this into age structure and some of those things that are important to grow a healthy deer herd. But you know, then it comes to the question, this is something I can't answer is which, you know, which one's better, you know, what's, is, is it worth, is it worth it to put the perspective on killing only big deer just to teach conservation and to teach, you know, let those smaller deer work? I don't, I don't know. I think it's more important to get people in hunting, whether, regardless of what they're shooting, but. I agree wholeheartedly. And I, and I can say something that I've kind of meant to touch on earlier that I forgot about, um, you know, the Instagram aspect of hunting is what really got me back into hunting when i started what i i owned a bow when i was younger um i shot i think one deer with a bow um <laughs> coincidentally my brother took my bow and sold it uh when i, when I went <laughs> off to college that was sweet of him yeah, no um but i came back and i just honestly was a little bit i don't know burned out for some reason there just wasn't the connectiveness that i have with shooting a bow and shooting, shooting deer with a bow versus a rifle. I mean, there's tons of arguments for either side and I don't really care what you do. Honestly, we have to, you know, we have to cold those and stuff not like that. I, I use a rifle, but, um, I think that kind of connectivity with the, the, the time and energy and preparation that has to go into that type of hunting became the, I don't know if that's the right word, but kind of the therapeutical, therapeutical aspect of hunting for me um i live in this rat race world of just constant bombarded bombardment communication and and all of that and growing up on a farm you know i that's all i did and i didn't know the other side of it now that i know the other side of it like that's what i love to do that's that's you know the summer work the the spring work is what's 
provides me with, you know, 80% of the value. And, and so for me, kind of the trophy hunting thing, obviously, yeah, everybody wants to shoot a big deer. I've seen some massive deer. I've been like, Oh my God, I would love to, you know, love to have an opportunity to shoot that deer. But you know, I've also eaten a lot of deer and, and the best ones to me are, you know, the does that, you know, mature doe, like I, I I'm just as happy, you know, shooting that and, and having a clean uh, experience with that than, than anything else. And, you know, honestly, for me, sitting outside, just watching animals, you know, in their natural habitats, that's that's the value that I get out of it. So No, for yeah, sure. That's kind of my opinion. Well, uh, so now that you've seen behind the curtain, let's get into that. So what, now that you've seen behind the curtain, you've been in front of the camera, you've seen the process from start to finish, from me calling you and saying, we're killing turkeys in, in Nebraska, and you're like, sign me up, to... I see the look on your face once you saw how far we were driving and that we really <laughs> and that we really did not have a place to hunt and I saw concern. Um, oh man! And then we, everything works out perfect. We shoot everything. Everything turns out, and then you see the edit. You know, what's your what was kind of your your gut reaction on the whole process? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, you know, there's there's a big time commitment in a trip like that, right? And for me, who, again, doesn't have a ton of time in that regard, it really worried me when, you know, I thought I was going to be able to, you know, take a Friday and Saturday off. And, and you know, for me, I, I, I was wondering, is the reward going to be big enough to kind of have to deal with all the consequences of taking this much amount of time off. Um, and I was, I was like, Oh man, this is a long, long, long way. Like what's the, what's the chance that we get out there and we don't get any of this done, uh, like we plan on it. And, you know, I think going through the whole process, once we got out there, honestly, it was like, whether it happens or not, I'm fine with it because this has been an amazing experience. But I will say getting that video, putting that on, you know, the platforms that it's on Mossy Go platform and being able to share that via social media and show all of the people that I communicate with on a daily basis or work with that are like, what are you doing? You're driving like you're an idiot. Like that's such a waste of time. Like why in the hell would you ever do that? And showing them that product and seeing the look on their face or getting the text or the phone call or, you know, whatever it is saying, man, that is unbelievable. Like that is really, you know, truly remarkable that you guys just went and did that. And it was the same reaction that I had, you know, and it was just so cool to see people that again, aren't even, don't even hunt. I mean, I have multiple people that don't even hunt, don't care about hunting. that were like, dude, that is one of the coolest things I've ever seen anybody do. And you know, it's not, but it's pretty amazing uh, that we did kind of put all that together and, you know, made it happen. I think for me, it was just a really solidifying experience in the decision to get into this industry, you know, and whether it turns into something bigger or we just, you know, keep knocking out a couple of episodes, you know, a year. Um we'll just have to see how that happens. But I think that spreading the message that we're spreading is, is kind of goal number one. And I think if you do everything the right way in that regard, everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, for sure. Well, what did you think of being on camera? How was that hunting with a camera with you? What was that kind of your thought process going along with that? Well, it's a lot harder. 
Yeah. Uh, that's for sure. Um, you know, I, I never hunted on camera like that. And I've been around some people that have been on camera while being hunted and while being uh, hunted. I was about to say, this sounds sketchy. and, And for me, you know, I really didn't ever think that I would, I would be in that position. Um, and for, you know, two years ago, really for us kind of going from talks to having a concrete video was a pretty surreal experience. And it, it's really funny seeing myself on camera. I was like, is that really what I look? Is that what I always, is that what I sound like? Cause I That's don't me. Like I'll, always sounds any, like that. Anytime sounds... I yeah, I, I don't I never worry about what I look like. I always like, yeah. I do not sound like that. That is not what yeah. I sound like. Yep. And, and I think it's really cool to see, like what your perception of yourself is versus actually seeing it on camera. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed the experience of, of uh, again, having some place to kind of speak your voice, you know, and, and, you know, hopefully connect with as many people as possible through that storytelling way of putting out content. Cause yeah. I think for me, that is, it's like experiential storytelling, you know, you're, you're trying to show people what you went through and how you did it. And then the experience that goes along with that so that maybe they get some sense of what you felt while it happened. And I'm a very kind of theatrical, uh, talk with my hands a lot. I've, you know, got a lot of emphasis on different words as I'm sure all of you can, can hear. Uh, so for me, it was really cool to see how that, translated into you know the video yeah no well that and um i think it was really cool to see i mean it was really cool for me the first time i got to see something from start to finish and then edited you know the edited piece put together and been like whoa that's how that's how it works you know and that was that was cool for me to see the first time so i mean kind of how was that for you you know when you saw the the, you know, the very beginnings and me asking you to say certain things and do certain things. And, you know, I don't know, it may or may, may, or may not have made sense to you, but um, it didn't well, to me when I first saw it. But when I saw the finished product, I'm like, oh, now that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I definitely knew that you had the experience to for me to just keep my mouth shut <laughs> and do what I was being told to do. Um, I, there were definitely some times where I was like, all right, dude, I mean, how many times you ask me to say this? Like, well, <laughs> what am I missing? Like, why I'm saying what you're saying. But then when you start to realize that you're, you're taking four, six, eight, 10, 14 days into, you know, six to 12 minutes, every single word that comes out of your mouth is hyper important. Yeah, for sure. And, and that was something that kind of rang true to me, but you know, obviously the first time that I watched it was you and I and, my girlfriend Amanda. Yeah, I didn't post it. I wanted you to see it in person with me first. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, it, it was like at first was I think the first was just relief. Wow, I don't look and sound like a complete <laughs> I thought you, dumbass. I thought you were about to say relief because it was done. Where's it's finally <laughs> behind us? No, no, just relief of okay. I don't look like an idiot or sound like an idiot. I don't think so. That was awesome. Number two was just complete elation over like man we really thought we planned we acted we filmed and we produced something that i am super proud of you know and then third was my like 
turned to Amanda trying to get her approval or get a read on what she said because she probably that's the first hunting video she may have ever watched. <laughs> probably so. Right? Yeah. And, and it wasn't because the first thing she said was, wow, you know, I've watched a lot of the things that you watch on TV and on Instagram, and that is by far the best one. Now, I'm sure she had a little bias, obviously. She was <laughs> like, that was by far the best one. And literally verbatim, she said, because it wasn't just about hunting and killing. It was about everything else that goes along into it. And, you know, she said, look, I was talking to you on the phone the whole time, but I just did not understand what, <laughs> you know, why you were doing it, first of all what any of it meant and now that i can see it it makes sense to me and just, that the relief from that from hearing someone that is the exact kind of person that i think this should speak to have that reaction was like man we accomplished the goal that we set out to, to yeah. accomplish and, and very rarely honestly you know this especially in hunting we're dealing with wild animals very rarely yeah. Does it work out the way that you want it to work out? No, for sure. And and, and and you trusted the process, which is which is super important. You know, you know, the first time I ever filmed with you is when we did the Rambo piece down there at uh, you know, in South yeah. Georgia on the turkeys, and and that was you know, you were a fish out of water with that one too. But you trusted yeah. me. You know, you trusted what I wanted you to do, and we filmed that thing. And I drove down. We filmed it. You know, we killed the turkey by like. 8 9 o'clock and we had the whole thing filmed but I think you had to leave by one so yep. we had it done by like 12 30 interviews and all and uh you know but it, it really comes down to trusting the process and um and it is a process uh and that's what I try and get through on the podcast when I talk to people about creating content you can't just go and film a hunt and then think that that's all you know you and think that that's what people want to see yeah they want to see stuff get shot let's you know let's be honest but at the same time there's so much more, you know, think about your favorite hunt is the kill your favorite part of that hunt. It's yeah, probably, no. it's probably that, you know, the time you got to spend with your dad or your brother or your buddies or, you know, whatever the case may be, there's so much more to it. Um, and then which what was our goal was that process, that information that, uh, you can do this because if we can do it, you can do it. You know, you know, you know, you said that in the thing is like, if I can do this, like and you're like, if I can do this, yeah. anybody Anyone. can do this. Anyone. And and, and, and that and that is so honesty. that's so true. You know, you know, neither one of us are gonna ever tell anybody that we're some special hunter of any you know, we're as average as average comes. So if we can go do this, anybody can do it. And uh and not only did we do it, we had a really good time the whole time. You know, was it was it really rough driving seventeen hours both ways? Yes. Was it really rough sleeping 200 yards yeah. from a train track? Yes. <laughs> that was the worst. That was the was worst. 20, 23, yeah. 23 degrees. 23 degrees. Yeah, but but that was that's what made it good. You know, now 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 that we can sit back and look back on it and have a video that represents that whole process, it's it's there forever. And uh it yep. makes it that much sweeter. And now it's like, okay, what's the next thing? How do we do it better? How do we do it again? How do we do it again? How do we do it again? And, uh, yeah, I mean, I would say, I would say one thing that you're kind of touching on, there, there's two things. One, you know, you're saying trust the process. And you asked me at the very beginning of this, this podcast, you know, what is kind of the, the kind of the biggest thing for, for working, you know, with the amount of people I do. And we talked about communication, but the other one is trust. Trust and communication are the two most important things in anything you do in life, whether it's a relationship, whether it's, you know, this whole uh, filming industry thing. Um, but I think the second point is 
you're saying trust in the process. And I think you got to have a process. Yep. Right? And I think so many people go into anything in life, whether it's filming a hunting show or starting a business or even going, you know, to the grocery store and they don't have a process. They don't have something established that, you know, they make a list. And, you know, one thing that I noticed that you do a really good job of, which is probably the reason why you've been so successful and you are so good at what you do is you write out your episode and you, you have goals in mind before you start. And that's kind of one of the biggest things that, that I'm getting to now is like anything that you do in life, you got to have the end in mind when you start so that you have a goal, you have a process, you have steps that you're going to take to accomplish that goal. And whether that's going out and deer hunting or whether that's, you know, like I said, starting a business or, you know, training for a marathon or whatever it is, you don't just go and do it. You know, you had this thing dialed and I was just along for the ride. And like you said, I trusted in you because I'm looking at your notes and I'm looking at, you know, the way that you're thinking about this thing. And I'm saying, okay, this is not some kind of, kind of half shot deal where we're just going to try to go shoot a turkey, you know, halfway across the country. Like he knows what the plan and what the goals are. And if we can take that and put that into a video and give that to people, yeah. if that's I, the whole point. If that's I can, if I can regurgitate what's on this piece of paper through the hunt and through you on camera, then we did a good job. Exactly. And we did. I mean, yeah. Specifically. I mean, there were multiple times during the editing process um, or the, the kind of long form, uh, interviews where, you know, we were, we were, we filmed something and then we're going back. All right. Did we cover this? All right. We forgot this one piece. So we got to scrap that. Let's re re say this sentence with make sure we have a, B and C in there. And I think that's the, that's kind of what separates, you know, something that's, you know, good and, and good film quality with something that's really good production quality. And that has nothing to do with me. That's all to do with you, right? And that's all to do with kind of your thought and, and again, the process that you had to put all this together and put it out for people to see. Well, it was fun to do. I had a good time doing it, and I'm hoping that we can get a couple of people to say, hey, y'all need to go do another one, and we're going to give y'all a little money to cover some <laughs> yeah. expenses. That'd be really nice. Yeah, that would be nice. Well, sure. to, to kind of end this thing, and this is going to be way off topic and way off base, but... I want to know your thoughts, and this is out of left field for listeners, and if you don't watch, I'm sorry, but what was your thoughts on the end of Game of Thrones? Man, uh, you know, that. so I've read the books twice. Oh, uh, okay, so um, you're, one of the, you're one of those people. Yeah, I'm one of those people. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's we're sitting here... <laughs> Grown men on a hunt podcast. About dragons. <laughs> well, hey, so man, it's a great show. A I watch it but for production. Okay, absolutely. Um, I think that people have been a little too harsh to judge on what happened um, at the end, and I think that you got seven and a half unbelievable seasons of TV. Yeah, I think they ran out of time. I think that all of the characters in that show are just, you know, they've been doing it for some of their whole acting career. Oh yeah. Pretty much their whole acting career yeah. to this point. And yeah. I don't know if you read, but the, uh, David and DB, the producers obviously got the next three star Wars gigs. So their focus oh, has wow. immediately gone away from yeah. game of Thrones into this. Uh, it was rushed. There were a lot of 
story arcs that I thought could have been done a little better. But I do think that in true kind of fashion with George R. R. Martin, they did what you least expected to happen, which is what he always did. I, did I like the finale? Did I like the way it ended? Not particularly. I love the series and think it's one of the best really happy TV that, of I'm all time. Really yes. happy that Cersei died. I am happy about that. I'm not, <laughs> not happy how she died, but I'm happy oh, she died. Weak. Why couldn't they have the hound just put the sword uh, out and stick it through her? Right well, there see, I wouldn't even, him. I wouldn't even have been happy with that. I kept waiting for Arya to show up. I'm like, come on, Arya, do it. Yeah. And then she never yeah. showed up. But anyway, I, well, we don't want to keep talking about this. But yeah, I was, I was a little disappointed. Um, but I, I, but the other, the other seasons outweighed, um, absolutely my disappointment for the last, you know, the ending, the close of the show or whatever. The, uh, I can't remember the name of the episode off the top of my head but the battle with the white walkers was mm-hmm. yeah that you know, was a lot good. of people were bitching and moaning about it being too dark but hey it was a battle at nighttime what yeah. do you expect and their whole purpose there was to make you feel uncomfortable yeah and claustrophobic and like you didn't know what was going yeah. on if you want to be that's what happens in battle if you want to I mean, watch yes, a dark obviously been in a battle yeah so. if you want to watch <laughs> a dark a dark show that makes you feel uncomfortable the whole time watch usa's mr robot because you're uncomfortable the entire time you watch it because everything they do in that show is against every production rule there's ever been. Oh, yeah. And it is amazing. Um, well, I, I thought that episode was unbelievable, and it, it was definitely... Yeah, the guys that, that did the green screens and did the motion graphics and the, the artificial everything about that, they didn't make enough money. They, yeah. don't, get, they don't get paid enough. But uh, but yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. I wanted to, I didn't want to ask you until after until the very end be a good way to close. But hey, just uh, yeah. how does uh how could everybody find you on social media? Um, and I guess you can go ahead and plug in my H too. Yeah, so um, I am on Instagram at Jamie Shira. That's J A M E Y S H I R A H. Don't that's... don't spell it J A M I E. He'll get mad. No, it's just, it's not spelled right. This is A-M-E-Y. <laughs> uh, and that's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and then I actually have a, a website blog. It's called jamiedoingthings.com. And it's just kind of a whole blend of everything that I read and, and what I coach and teach to our teams. And there's a lot of stuff on there, you know, about kind of best practices for, for whatever you're looking for. I mean, it's, I think I got probably close to 20 blogs on there now and got a couple more already in the, in the system to come out here pretty soon. But, uh, and then lastly, yeah, make it happen. M I H series that's on Instagram, M I H series. And, and we have a website too. It's pretty basic, but as we get out and film more videos and do more hunts, there will obviously be more content there. And then, you know, hopefully that thing will start to take a life uh, of its own. Um, and you know, we can grow that into, kind of a resource, like I said, for people that, that are interested in getting into the outdoors, getting into hunting, getting into, you know, um, this industry. And it, it'll be kind of a, a, a guide to, to help them do that. For sure. Well, dude, I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, no, thank you for your time, man. Always good to talk. No problem, dude. Talk to you soon. <laughs>